Well, good morning to you. It's great to welcome you to this service, whether you're a regular at HBC, part of the family, or whether you're just visiting from the internet. It's great to have you with us, and we do pray that this morning we might have a wonderful sense of God's presence as we share together. If you have your Bibles with you, you might like to turn with me to Luke 24. We're going to read from verse 36 to verse 49 as we continue our journey through the latter part of this gospel. And just before I read, I do want to again record my thanks to Alistair, my friend, for his kindness in making this possible. So Luke's gospel, chapter 24, the heading in my Bible is Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised me, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And we pray that the the Lord will bless his word to our hearts this morning. Let's pray together for a moment. Thank you so much, Father, for this wonderful privilege of being able to access your word and just to read it. And we thank you, O Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit and he opens our eyes and gives us understanding. And we want to pray that this morning, that as we read this, that our hearts might be gripped, as it were, and absolutely thrilled by the truth that we read. So wherever we are in our homes, whether we're in a sitting room or in our bedroom or in a study or wherever it is, we just pray that we might sense your presence and may your spirit speak to us. We ask these things, Father, in the beautiful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I think that the disciples were really overwhelmed. What a day it had been. Uh, they, uh, so much was unexplained. Now, the apostles and some of the believers were behind closed doors. They were frightened of the Jews. I don't believe that Judas was there, and there's some doubt as to whether Thomas was there. I don't think he was. However, folks can argue about that one. Now, we know that Peter had amazed them by telling them that he had seen the risen Lord. Look at 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes about this sometime later. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And it's interesting. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And earlier on in Luke's Gospel, we read, they got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. This is a Cleopas on the Emmaus Road. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, and that's another name for Peter. So after the resurrection, the Lord appeared to Peter and had a one-on-one meeting with him and were not given any detail of, of what they talked about during that meeting. That's interesting, isn't it? I, I kind of love, I would love to have been a fly on the wall. But we do know that Cleopas and his companion astounded the gathering with their account of meeting Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And they, I'm sure, explained how their hearts had been burning within them as Jesus had opened the scriptures to them. And I can just imagine the disciples were absolutely amazed by this account. Well, while it was going on, we read in verse 36, 37, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. Now, just hit the pause button for a moment there, because there's a really interesting little detail in John's Gospel, in chapter 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, there's a little phrase in there that's interesting to note, and it says that they were together with the doors locked. So there they were, thinking that they were safe from outsiders, that nobody could get in, when all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus was in their midst. Now, can you imagine how they uh, reacted to the sudden appearance of Jesus? Surely they gasped, their eyes bulged, and the hair on the back of their necks stood up as they saw what they took to be an apparition of Jesus. They were startled and frightened, and they certainly didn't have much peace in those moments. The words that Jesus had spoken to the two on the Emmaus Road could have well been directed at them. Do you remember Jesus said on the Emmaus Road, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Well, not only were they disbelieving, now they were absolutely confused by what was going on. And then the Lord Jesus continues, and he gives them a little bit of a rebuke. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bone, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. It it wasn't a ghost. And they felt for themselves. And I imagine that some of them reached out and maybe felt his arm or or touched his, his face or put an arm on his shoulder. And they could feel solid flesh. And he showed them his hands and feet and some may well have touched the wounds because Jesus was physically present with them. 
he had risen from the dead. And in those moments, the apostles' condition had become one of positive disbelief as opposed to negative disbelief. And we read just a lovely expression in, in 41. They still did not believe because of joy and amazement. They didn't believe because of joy and amazement. They were in that wacky, giddy state of disbelief like football fans whose team has just scored the winning goal in extra time. Uh, the, literally, the literal translation says they were, they being unbelieving from joy and amazement. And then Jesus delivered the final blow to their doubts. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And that wasn't the only time that Jesus ate with them. After the resurrection, he appeared a number of times over a period of about 40 days. And sometime later, when Peter was dealing with Cornelius, he, he said in Acts chapter 10, he, Jesus, was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Well, how amazing is that? So then Jesus moves on and he gives them some instruction. I have to say that after that experience with Jesus, I don't think they ever doubted the resurrection again, having spent that time with the Lord. Well, in the moments that followed, Jesus had their focused attention, so he began to give them some instruction. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is absolutely amazing what Jesus said there. Now, we have our Bibles, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the Jews only had the Old Testament. And the Old Testament fell into three parts. There was the law of Moses, there was the prophets, and there was the Psalms. So Jesus says that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. So what does this tell us? What is Jesus teaching us? He's telling us that the whole of Scripture bears witness to him. There's no part of Scripture which does not bear witness to Jesus. Now, this is really important because Jesus did not want them to focus on their own personal experience. Now, why did he not want them to do that? Well, if they were to rely on their memories, they could run into trouble because our memories are not always very good. Our ability to remember is questionable. I'm at the stage where I have to wonder sometimes, where are my glasses? And I, I have to wander around and look for them. And I find that the things that I ought to forget, I remember. <laughs> the things I ought to remember, I forget. So I'm so glad that I don't have to build my faith on my memory. And the Lord didn't want their faith to rest on their memories. He wanted them to base their understanding of the resurrection on what the Scriptures teach. Now, this encounter was undoubtedly the ultimate teachable moment in all history. 
Jesus would have seated himself, taking the traditional posture of a teacher. As he gestured in the candlelit room, his nail-pierced hands or wrists emphasizing his points. No, no wandering minds here. No, nobody went to, to sleep as we sometimes do in church. They were absolutely riveted on what Jesus was teaching there. Well, in verse 45, it says that he, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit opened their minds, their blinkers were removed, and they could see with clarity truth that they had never grasped before. That's absolutely wonderful. And the instruction focused on two areas. It focused firstly on the gospel. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Paul picks that up in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. This is, the gospel is so important. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, there's a repeated phrase here that we do well to take note of. You see, Jesus twice says, or rather, Paul says to us through 1 Corinthians 15, twice, that it was all according to the Scriptures. So it wasn't based on folks' memories, which are sometimes flawed. It was all according to the Scriptures. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 44? He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So we ask the question then, well, where is the gospel in the law of Moses? Where is the gospel in the law of Moses? Well, let's go back in time for a moment or two. You will remember the account of how Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And in the cool of the evening, when the Lord walked in the garden, Adam and Eve were hiding and God spoke to them, and they confessed that they had been disobedient. And they recognized that they were naked. So God provided animal, animal skins to cover their nakedness. Well, we know that to get skins from animals, animals had to die. So if you like, blood was shed to provide a covering for their nakedness. Now, because... Adam and Eve had sinned, and when they sinned, the whole of creation was impacted, those animal skins were going to wear out and would need to be replaced. In fact, it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 9, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were 
ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of, of, of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that might lead to death so we may, may serve the living God? Well, in Exodus 32, God makes, or Exodus 24 rather, God makes a covenant with his people. And blood is, is sprinkled on the altar, the, the, the book of the covenant, and the people. Well, where do they get blood? Well, from, from a sacrifice. From a sacrifice. So in the following centuries, as Hebrews tells us, there were thousands upon thousands of sacrifices offered for sin, but the problem was that all the sacrifices that were offered had been tainted by the fall, and thus the offerings were imperfect. And in that respect, they, didn't, they couldn't work, at least they couldn't get rid of our sin. But then God sends his son, the Lord Jesus, who is known as the Lamb of God, and he who was without sin, he became the perfect sacrifice. So the law of Moses in Exodus 24 points us straight towards Jesus. Okay, so where is the gospel in the prophets? Well, all we need to do really is turn to Isaiah 53, which explicitly foretold the sufferings of Jesus. He, that's Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. So the prophets uh, tell us about Jesus. They go on to say, in verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, the whole chapter speaks of him, the Lord Jesus, as the suffering servant. Well, okay, so we've learned about um, the gospel in the law of Moses and in the prophets. Well, what about the Psalms? Well, Psalm 22 gives us an accurate description of the crucifixion. It perfectly describes the Lord's experience. In the first verse, the very words that Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. The whole of the scriptures speak of Jesus. And surely as those uh, Apostles, disciples listened to Jesus' teaching. Surely their hearts were set ablaze. Now, Jesus didn't stop there. He went on to talk about world mission. Well, where is world mission in the law of Moses? Well, Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That last phrase points us to Christ. And actually, 
there's a little kind of a reference to it in Galatians 3, 29, where Paul writes, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. If we are Christ's, we are heirs of the spiritual blessings that God had promised to Abraham. So mission, we find mission in the law. Well, do we find mission in in the prophets? Well, we do. Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Acts chapter 13. And, and, and the Jews, they, they got annoyed with the gospel. Now, it, it has to be said that the gospel makes people either glad or mad. It has been said that the Son either hardens clay or melts ice. Well, some of the Jewish folks rejected the Gospels and got very annoyed with Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas, in speaking to them, they quote from the prophet Isaiah. And they say, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's mission, isn't it? That's mission. And it goes on to say, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So we discover that mission is in the prophets, and all of the followers of Christ are responsible for bringing the light of Christ to a world, much of which is in darkness. And if you know and love Jesus... You might the own, be the only glimpse your next-door neighbors ever get of Christ. Oh, may the Lord help us so that we might make Christ visible in the world. Well, okay, we've got mission in the law. We've got mission in the prophets. What about mission in the Psalms? Well, the Psalms also trumpet the message. Look at Psalm 22, verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all, their, all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And this declares God's salvation to the Gentiles. So the Lord taught those apostles and the other disciples that the law, the prophets, and the Psalms all teach about his suffering, death, and resurrection his mission to the whole world beginning at Jerusalem. We preach Christ crucified and risen as the Savior. And the gospel demands that we share Christ everywhere. Well, then Jesus went on and he said to them, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And here we have a promise of the Holy Spirit who would come. And Jesus repeats the promise just before he ascended into heaven. In Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when the Holy Spirit came, what power there was. Now Paul uh, writes some years later in Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So we discover that the disciples and the apostles, they were 
frightened of the Jews, the Jewish leaders, thinking that as the Jewish leaders had abused Christ, so that they might abuse them as followers of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit comes just after the ascension, and they are filled with power and boldness. And Peter stands up to preach in Jerusalem, and he preaches the gospel, and he doesn't mince his words. He, he just tells them straight, you crucified Christ. And the people were so impacted by the message of the gospel that they cried out, what must we do to be saved? And amazingly, 3,000 folks came to faith on that day through the work of the Holy Spirit using Peter. The gospel and the power of the gospel and the power of the gospel is still at work in our world today because all over the world there are people who are coming to discover that Jesus is real. Now, I, I don't know if you know Jesus. I, I hope you do. But maybe, just maybe, you've somehow stumbled across this YouTube channel and you're watching it. Well, we're living in very strange days, aren't we? Just not very long ago, I, I went up uh, during the lockdown to get some food at Tesco's. And as I stood in the queue outside the shop waiting to get in, I saw a road sign. I suspect the sign had been there for quite some time. But it was the first time I'd seen it. And I was so impacted by it that I took a photograph of it. And it just said, change priorities. Now, of course, it was talking about the traffic. But as I was standing in that queue thinking about this strange virus that we're, uh, this pandemic that we're living in the midst of, I began to wonder how would, will our society change when we emerge from this? I guess we'll uh, have a, uh, uh, perhaps a slight reluctance to, to shake everybody's hands. I'm, I'm not sure. We'll probably give some thought to food security. But what about personally, about changed priorities? You see, I think that there are folks and they're going to want to find out about God, change priorities. And this is where we go to find out about God because it's in the Word of God. But if you know Jesus, what about changed priorities in your own lives? Perhaps Bible reading. The one thing that emerges from this study is that Jesus was pointing them to the Bible. Pointing them consistently to the Bible. And we read, don't we, that we are to study to show ourselves approved as workmen who rightly handle the word of truth. I know the easy thing is to come along on to church on Sundays and to sit and listen and to enjoy what the preacher has spent time preparing. But, you know, if that's all you get, then you're going to be on starvation rations because, really, we need to learn to feed ourselves. I remember hearing a story of a, a fellow who went to preach in a country church, and he brought his son with him. And they arrived a few minutes early, and the door was open, so they wandered in. And there, just at the entrance, there was a, an offering box. So um, Dad the preacher took a pound out of his pocket and he dropped it in the box and 
he and the little boy wandered into the church and they looked around. There were some old folks sitting there. So he went and said hello. And then other folks wandered into the church. And then a little man rushed in and came over to him and said, are you the preacher? And he said, yes, I am. And so he said, well, please go up to the pulpit and just lead us through the service. So he went up and he gave the hymns to a little uh, organist and uh, led through the service. And at the end of the service, he went to the door, as is the custom, and he shook hands with the folks who were leaving. And the little man who had spoken to him came and said, look, thank you so much for that. He said, it's our custom to give the contents of the offering box to the visiting preacher. So when everybody had gone, then the visiting preacher, he went and he opened the box and he took a pound out of the box. That was all that was in the box. And his son looked at him and said, dad, if you'd have put more in, you'd have got more out. And doesn't that apply to the way in which we handle the Bible. If you put more in, you get more out. So change priorities. Engaging with the Word of God. And then what about prayer? Our responsibility to be light in a dark world. I, I think that I, I work from prayer a list. It's, it's, that's the way I do it. Not everybody does it that way and that's absolutely fine. But however you do it, I think we ought all to be praying for at least three people who don't know Jesus, that they might come to know him and then have a heart concern to pray for others, that others might come to know him too. Well, there you have it. What a, a, a beautiful passage it is to look at. And next Sunday, God willing, we're just going to look at the ascension, which is the last four verses from Luke's gospel. So let's just pray together. Father, we thank you that we've been able to spend a little time together in your word. We're absolutely amazed that Jesus consistently points the people, the disciples, back to the word. We pray that you'd help us, O oh Lord, so that we might take that on board and perhaps before your presence with the help of the Spirit, just review our priorities in case we need to reorder them. And we pray that your Spirit would be upon us in power so that we might be used to make the light and loveliness of Christ visible in a watching world. Especially pour out a blessing on the HPC family and grant, Father, that as the days unfold and this pandemic retreats, that they might be able to be a really bright, shining light in their community, be made a wonderful blessing to many so that glory and honor are brought to your name. We ask these things, Father, in the precious and wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great week. God bless you.